and uh, we'll read parts of it and get into it. But it's dealing with the time that um, Abraham is, his wife has passed. And so he's, he's got the second wives, but Sarah is already gone. His son of promise, Isaac, is several decades old. And Abraham is knowing that his own time is about ending. And so his concern now is for Isaac to find a wife. And this is the wife-hunting passage of scriptures that is often looked at in that regard. Socrates commenting on marriage, he's the great philosopher, so to speak, and he made this comment to his students. Apparently it's given to him. It said this, by all means you should get married. If you find a good wife, you, have, you will be doubly blessed. But then he went on and made this additional comment. If you find a bad wife, you'll become a philosopher. I'm not sure exactly what he was saying about his wife if he was married at all. Okay? It's one of those you know, tongue-in-cheek type comments that you're not sure about. And it got me thinking as, we were, as I was going through this and trying to put it all together is how, how do most people find a partner? Okay? <clears throat> now... <laughs> A lot of us in this room, this isn't our topic of interest, but yet it's a, it should be interesting to us because we have kids, grandkids, others that we know who need a little bit of advice. There are some of you in the room that this is going to be, uh, it is a goal or it's going to be something you're going to be focusing on in the near future. <clears throat> so it has practical application. I think there's another whole va- aspect that we want to talk about on the backside of your notes. But just talking just briefly about that idea of you know spouse finding, how is it typically done in our country? It's done the, the fleshly method. What I mean by that is looking at the outside. Okay, and just, okay, are they beautiful? Are they good-looking? Are they strong? Are they, are they athletic? Do they have a tuft? Don't they have a tuft? You know, those types of things that we put a lot of emphasis on the external appearance, get attracted, get drawn to them, and then that dictates the whole, a lot of the relationship. And we know that that happens for some people. The, uh, when we talk about the fleshy, I'm not, and I'm not saying all that is evil, <clears throat> but even some some of the fleshly, the externals are, we joked about it in the office today, that you had a relative who, you, who had, spouse had passed away and remarried, and she said to you, uh, you know, her comment was, advice was, the first marriage is for, for love, the second marriage is for money. Okay, that was her, that was her, that, that falls into this category, okay, of looking for the wrong things. Then there's the super spiritual idea of hunting, it's, <clears throat> which I know a few people who have done this, uh, especially when I was in college, that, you know, God is going to lead, God is going to lead, I know one man very well, he just prayed, he says, God, you know, I, want, I don't want to go through dating process, just you make it very clear who I'm going to marry, and we're just, I'm just going to propose immediately, the first date, date, we're going to propose, and if God's in it, it's done, we're not going to do that foolishness of dating, and so um, he followed that pattern, he had put out his form of a fleece, and approached the gal, and she said yes, <laughs> and They've been happily married. That's one of those rare situations. And, <clears throat> but I've seen more disasters than not. But the idea of, okay, we're just going to, you know, just pray about it. And, you know, if God brings somebody my way, we'll just, you know, that'll be it, <clears throat> so to speak, based purely upon, you know, the idea that, the, that I'll get into what I'm, what I'm, I will speak negative and it'll be worse. They take, they, do you know people who take what they can find? Okay. 
I, there's nobody else in our community, so it's just this person, and I guess we'll just get together. Rather than both of us be lonely, we'll kind of be miserable together. Um, and we'll, we'll finish up with that. There's the better idea that you and I would want to promote and encourage, both within our family and other, within the church family, is that a biblical wisdom approach. The, the idea based on 1 Timothy 5, that you start off with friendship, you treat as a brother and sister, develop that friendship into a different relationship, but then understand that Scripture's talking about he who finds a wife finds a good thing, the idea that there's going to be some effort and some searching involved in it. That's kind of what happens here in Genesis chapter 24. There's going to be some effort that's put in by Abraham, by his servant, and finding a wife by Isaac, and Isaac is kind of the passive partner in this because that's his culture. And so what we find is, uh, is, as I mentioned already, you have Abraham who's very concerned. He's got the promise of God that they're in the land, and he's supposed to be the father of many nations. But at this point, he's the father of two boys. For there to be many nations, what does he have to do with the one son still living in his house? He's, he's got to get him married off, or there's not going to be many nations down the road. So he understands that, and he takes the action uh, as the father, which is, again, cultural. I don't think we should run to this text and say, every nuance of this text is what we should be practicing today, such as your dad and mom pick out the person that you never meet until you encounter each other when they light off the candle and uh, camel and come to you and you say, hello, we're married. Okay, I'm not sure the wisdom of that this passage is advocating that, but there are some principles that it advocates and it illustrates with, that aren't cultural, that are biblical wisdom on what to do when it comes to this matter. And those are the principles when we're talking about the good lessons that I just want to briefly mention that you can use when you counsel your kids, your grandkids, other believers, your friends, or you yourself can apply for those of you who are going to be in this spot. So here they are, real simple. Number one, I think there should be be an attitude of listening to your spiritual advisors, uh, the, whether it be the parents who are, who are your spiritual advisors if they love the Lord and they're godly, or older saints. And so in this passage, they, there's that role that's being taken by dad, by Abraham, where we read in the first few verses, Abraham was old, well-stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed him in all things. He said to his eldest servant of the house that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, your hand under my thigh, and this is a method in Bible days of way of making a promise. Instead of cross your heart, it would be basically putting a hand in this area that would be more of an intimate touch and saying, okay, do you promise me this? And so he goes on, he says, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you shall not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go unto my home country and to my kindred, this is going to be about a 450 mile trip, and take a, tri- take a wife unto my son Isaac. The servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not follow me. Must I needs you know, bring your son into the land from whence you came? And he says, Beware that you do not bring my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake to me, and that swore to me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before you. You shall take a wife unto my son from that region, my home region, my relatives. And if the woman will not be willing to follow you, then you will be clear of this your oath. Only bring not my son to the again. 
And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, swearing to him concerning the matter. The servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of, the, of his master were, his, were in his hand. He arose. He goes to Mesopotamia, under the city of Nahor, the hometown of Abraham. He made his camels to kneel down without the city by the well of the water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray you, send me good speed this day and show kindness to my master. Master, behold, I stand here by the wells of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down your picture, pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, she shall say, Drink, and I will give your camels also to drink. Let that same also uh, be she that you have appointed for Isaac, and thereby shall I know that you have showed kindness to my master. It came to pass, before he had done speaking, behold, Rebecca came out, who was born, and she ends up giving, they give you the data about being a relative. The damsel was fair to look upon a virgin, neither had she known any man. She went down to the well, she filled the pitcher, she came up, the servant runs to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little of your, from your pitcher. She says, drink, my lord. And she was in a hurry and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I'm going to, if you'd like, I will draw water for your camels also until they have done drinking. She hurried, emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran again to the well, drew more water and drew for all the camels. And the men was, by the way, ten camels, remember. Okay, not just one. He's already given the number. The man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half shekel of weight, two bracelets for her hands, ten shekels weight of gold. And he said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in your father's house for me to lodge? Us, his, the other servants that were with him. And the, she said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, and she bare, that she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough provisions enough, and room to lodge in. And the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of all his mercy and truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren, or, or relatives. She ran, told them to her mother's house these things, and Rebekah had a brother whose name was uh, Laban. He ran out unto the man unto the well, and it came to pass when he saw the earring, the bracelets upon his sister's hands. When he heard the words that Rebekah said, he saying, This man spake thus and thus to me, that he came unto him. And behold, he stood by the camels at the well, and Laban says to him, Come in, you blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and the room for the camels. Well, by the way, what's the Lord spelled? How's it spelled in your Bible. I, I know L-O-R-D, but it's all cap, which means what? He's using Yahweh or Jehovah. He's not just using a God. He's not just using a generic term. He's using the personal name of God, which indicates something about his knowledge spiritually and his relationship. Let's pick up, let's just talk about it. Okay, dad gets involved. He's going, there's going to be giving directions, giving some counsel, giving some guidance in this area, and Isaac's compliant with it. Because you end up at the end of the chapter that when they bring Rebecca back, he's going to be content with this. And so dad's involvement, dad's getting, giving good counsel, giving direction. It's going to be a relative, it's going to be somebody from this, and he's interested, he's listening. Number two, I think this is, this is a counsel this is a, an illustration of a principle. You need to saturate this decision with prayer. Okay, and that's where we have the servant praying, and he's asking the Lord. Now, I put up here, by the way, Eliezer. 
And just because I've always thought it's Eliezer. There is something unique about that. The passage never uses the name Eliezer. It just simply says the eldest of the servants. And most of us preachers have assumed that's Eliezer because that's what he is called in chapter 15, verse 2, that he is the chief of the servants, the head of the servants. And so when I put Eliezer up here, that's just an assumption. But it could be somebody different if Eliezer has passed off the scene in recent years. But just to clarify that, I went by habit and by, by just the way I've said it without saying, wait a minute, the passage doesn't specifically say his name, but I'm assuming that's who it is. His prayer was very specific that he's praying about. God, lead me in this direction to this, the right person. It's pointed and it's very practical, which we'll see in a minute. What he prays about is getting an idea of, is this person somebody who is a good person? Well, again, I'll come back to that in a moment. But he's praying for wisdom is the direct and direction in a very practical sense. By the way, I wanted to add this, that his prayer was private. Um, you know, in the sense that it's not like it's broadcasted all over. You know, I'm praying to the Lord God that whoever is the first one to come up here, you know, and make it, you know, and give a gift, they're going to be the winner of such and such, which could, you know, could get some emotional uh, reaction without the, the clear guidance of the Lord. Just, you know, here he is praying, making it personal, making it practical, something that all is going back to give us wisdom, give us guidance. Something else that I think is a good principle here. Look at the person's character. Look at their character. Now, when the story, as we read right now, when she shows up, he's going to ask her for water. Okay, why is he asking her to give him water and then for her to say, um, I'll water your camels? What is he looking for? Is he looking for somebody who's just really, really strung out on water? Okay, what, what's the, his point? What is, he, what is he interested in finding out? He's looking for a heart. Okay, he's not looking. Now, we've already learned that she's a beautiful, she's fair to look upon. We already know that in the text. That's an obvious. But he wants to know about the other beauty, the beauty that Peter talks about. Do you remember what we call it in Peter? It's the inner beauty. Yeah, that character, that beauty of the spirit of the heart. What kind of, what kind of traits, what kind of virtues is he looking for when he says, okay, have her give me water and have her water the camels. Okay, hospitality is going to be in there. What's that? A kindness? A servant's heart? Okay, a humility? Okay. Is there a work ethic involved? Okay. Um, yeah. is, there, is there a sensitivity even towards animals? Okay, by the way, is that an important trait back in those days? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so you look at it, and he's looking for, okay, what, what, what's the makeup of this person? To find out a little bit more about it. Um, is, there, is there a person, uh, now I'm not trying to stretch it too far, but if, if you were watering 10 camels, could that take a few minutes? Okay. What trait would you look at here? I'm going to call it stick-to-itiveness. Okay. Yeah. What's that? endurance? That's probably the better word. Okay. Yeah, probably, you know, that's somebody who's going to keep their word when they make a commitment. They're going to follow through. So he's looking for those types of character traits, okay, which is very important. I, I, I don't mean to be silly about this or redundant, but I think this is a truism. There needs to, we need to take time to evaluate the individual in this sense that he is observing. He's, it says she's, he's watching her. 
And then he's also considering, it's going to take time for her to take care of the camels. So he's looking at that, and he's going to want to know a little bit more about her, and he starts asking her about her family. Is her family important in this, in this search? Yes, very important because of what Abraham has told him. Is it important because of the spiritual nature? Very much so. And again, I remind you that the family is going to talk about Jehovah. So there were some of these people. And so he wants to make sure that she's the right one. And so there's time that's given. And yet by our time frame, okay, for you and me and our culture and the the practices we have, uh, was this a speed dating? Seriously? I mean, how many days is he spending with her? We don't know of any, any overnight or, or long adventure. By our standards, this is really fast. Okay. But by a prearrangement standard, there's personal information that's given that may not have been shared in some of those prearrangements. And so he's getting the details and he's wanting to take the time to get to make sure. There's this note. He's going to look for and observe family interactions Okay, do, do we realize that when we get married, we aren't marrying the family, but are we marrying the family? Yes or no? You do, you do. Okay, you get tied into them. They're going to be a part of your life. And so the family interactions, I think, are very important in this text that what he looks at. Eliezer, and again, that's who I'm assuming it is, he's going to see how her family acts. He ends up going to the home. Okay, And he even asks, is there an opportunity to be at your home? What is he looking for in the family trait? Let's go back to what you mentioned just a moment ago, Jeremy. He's looking again. Is this family hospitable? Is this a, is this a family that shows that type of care and concern for strangers? And I remind you, in that culture, what was one of the highest, and we don't understand this, but one of the highest cultural practices that revealed your, your personality was how did you treat travelers? It was critical mass in that society. And so it was very important. You, you have in this story, you know, that idea of just examining, just observing, seeing how they act. And um, she has told him, yeah, we have stuff, you know, to take care of him. He's going to find out. Is she represent her family properly? I, I think what's, what's interesting is this. Further in the story... I, I, there, to me, there is a, an important part of how does the family and the person interact, the person involved. It's interesting to note down in like verse 55, he has, by this point, he's explained to them when he's had the meal with them, the reason I've been here, the reason I'm here is because I had prayed to God. I'm on a search for a wife for my master's son. I had prayed to God, and up to this point, I believe God is leading to your house. And their response and how they interact with their sister, with their daughter, is, goes down into the story. It says in verse 55, and, and it seems like Laban is the head of the house, which would indicate that the dad is probably deceased. It says, that her brother and her mother said, Let's, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten days, after that she can go with you. So we, wanna, we want 10 days to be able to say goodbye. She's going to be gone, and we'll probably never see her again. And so when she goes, let us have time. Does that indicate anything to you about their relationship? What? They care about her, okay? They're not, they're not of the mindset that says, absolutely pay the dowry and get her out of here, okay? 
which means that their, the family unit has some good relationships. Watch a little bit further, okay? Then he says, the servant, he said, don't stop me. Seeing the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master, basically right away. And they said, we will call the damsel and do what? We're going to let her be involved in this decision. What does that tell you about them and their relationship with her? They respect her, okay? Okay, and so it's giving you some insight into their reactions as how they, they follow. They called Rebecca and said, will you go with this man? She says, I'll go. And they sent her away, the sister. And what else do they send with her? Okay, They're, her handmaids are nurse and they go and they blessed Rebecca and they said, you are our sister. You're going to be the mother of thousands. Let your seed possess. Their, their speech, their interaction is one that shows that this family is not this typical you know, thought of, okay, they're sending the daughter away because we're dysfunctional. We care. We still want, is it important to see how the potential prospective spouse interacts with family and how they interact? Yeah, because oftentimes, what's the reality? It's indicative of how they're going to act and what they think is important, okay? And uh, you're going to have to deal with those relationships. So the wise is to take note. Take note. And, and you know, we do this when we're doing some type of counseling with young people who say, how do I, you know, I'm dating this person. You know, how do they talk to their parents? How do their parents talk to them? How do they talk about their parents? Do they get along with their siblings? Do we recognize that probably in every family there's something quirky that could be happening? Okay, uh, not yours. Every other family? Okay, we recognize that. But if there is this conflicting and some you know, tra- drama that is outrageous, that might be indicative of what you're going to have to deal with. So yeah, that's very important. Let me give you, uh, uh, no, this should be number seven, I believe. Watch for their spiritual interests. Okay, and again, while he's there, he's making observation, and he's going to see how Laban responds to his story, where it talks about how uh, he's sharing, starting with the, verse 35, here's how God has led, etc., etc. And he's, he's gone on, he bows down, gives the, or he, he shares about how he bowed down and prayed. And it goes down to verse 50. Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing proceeds from where? Okay, and again, what, what name are we using? Yahweh, Jehovah. We cannot speak unto you good or bad. Behold, Rebecca is before you take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife as... What, is your, what does your Bible read? The Lord has spoken. Okay, so is this family that he's dealing with, do they, do, do they show a compassion for other people? They have by hospitality. Do they recognize God's leading? in the story. They do. They don't just attribute it to coincidence. Are they willing to let God lead in their daughter's life? Hey, this is big. This is huge. Letting your daughter go with somebody 450 miles away. And in that day, that means you will never see him again. That's huge that they would surrender her to the Lord. Okay, so the spiritual interests are very, very important. And when they find out that he said that the servant says, I want to get going, and they say, fine, if she's in agreement, we will not hinder. 
this plan of the Lord, even though we would like more, more days, they are very submissive to the guidance and direction of the Lord. Okay, good principles. Principles that are, that are showing you know, some of the aspects of what you want to basically look for, deal with, how to be careful, how to be cautious. And the reason that we need to be so careful is because when we're talking about this type of relationship, this is a permanent relationship. Never, never rush into something that is permanent. Okay? You know, working at McDonald's or Burger King for the summer, that is not on the same level as saying I do to somebody before the Lord. There is, there is such involvement, so much important, importance to this. So it's very important that we have, that we guide and direct and say, be very careful. Now, let's take the bigger picture. The bigger picture in this story is not just finding a spouse. The bigger picture expands to following the Lord's leading in many areas, in areas of career, in areas of school choice, in areas of job, in areas of friendships, okay? Can we point out some, uh, some principles that are, again, illustrated when it comes to finding and following the will of God in other areas, in all areas, and just make some general observations? God leading, God's leading often happens when we become proactive, not when we remain passive. You want to know what the Lord and how the Lord is leading. Don't just sit there. Take some action. I, I know it's a, it's, it sounds trite, and I know that it's overused probably by me more than anybody else, but it is easier to steer a moving car than one that is parked. Okay? God can guide and direct as we move forward rather than just sit there. Abraham, again, take you back to Abraham's situation. Abraham believes that God is going to provide generations. He's convinced of that. In fact, he's shared that with his servant who has shared that with Laban and Bethuel because when they say goodbye, what do they say to her? They say, you, in verse 60, you're our sister, but you're going to be the mother of thousands of millions and let your seed possess the gate. Where did they get that from? Okay, Abraham believes God's going to do this. He is also extremely confident in God leading day by day. Go back to verse 7, where he says to his servant, he says, God send his angel before you. He's convinced that God is going to have to provide this spouse, lead in this direction, and God can lead in normal everyday affairs. And so as he's moving... As he's going forward, it is interesting that he has that commitment. He has that desire. And I wanted just to point out again, down in verse 10, okay, talking about, talking about um, the leading of the Lord and understanding we don't remain passive. In verse 10, what does the servant do that shows proactive, uh, proactive um, action to finding the leading of the Lord? Look at verse 10. Look at verse 11. Okay? What does he do practically? Okay? The servant took 10 camels. Why? Why is he taking the camels with him? What's that? He's going to bring her back. Okay, does she have that much stuff? Okay. He, he's, what's that? A lot of shoes. Back in those days? They had all those sandals? You know, okay. He's, and all the goods that were in the hand, he went there. He, you know, now, now watch a little bit further. In verse 11 and 12, 
Remember, he has prayed, you bring the girl and have her come here. But watch what verse 10 says about this, okay? Where it says, um, he made his camels to kneel down outside the city by where? The well of water at the time of the evening. What time specifically does he come there and do this? When the ladies come out to draw the water. This isn't just, oh, coincidental that he showed up. No, this is purposeful planning. That he's saying, okay, we're going to be there at this time where the ladies show up. He's planning it. The, the idea is this. God's leading doesn't discount planning. Okay, God, God's leading often cooperates with planning. Oh, by the way, and if our plans don't, and, and they're good intentional plans, if they don't jive with the leading of the Lord, can God close doors on us? To have us adjust? Isn't that the grace of God? In fact, let's take it a step further. Okay? God's leading is not always via the phenomenal. It is often via the providential. I think this is true of most of our lives. That most of us don't hear the dreams, the visions, the angels, the lightning strikes. Okay? We don't have those things. But this is the way the Lord led. Like he did the servant who says, I being in the way. Who says that, you know, he led me in the right path. That that's the way God often leads in our lives. Through looking at events, the circumstances, the providential direction. Rebecca coming, the, passing the test that he's put out there. That he said, okay, so I can just kind of evaluate character. God can and often does work in the details. The little details of our life. His providence doesn't excuse or eliminate our human efforts. We should be moving forward until God says... Stop. Okay? And so determining the will of God, should we sit and wait until it is clear as crystal? I don't think so. That's all the time. I think sometimes we should be moving forward and God will direct us as we are purposely planning and moving forward. And so making, making the, taking action. Okay, I'm going to wait until God makes it very clear what college I should go to. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for some college to come to my doorstep and give me a scholarship. I'm waiting until some bolt of lightning says I should go to, oh, I know what it is. I'm waiting until the first, the first thing strikes me, and so I just ate Pillsbury dough. I should go to Pillsbury. Yeah. Oh, they closed. So that one stops. Okay. So, no, if you're, if you're waiting for the direction of the Lord, what's a practical way of saying and a, and a way for God to providentially guide? How about checking out some schools? How about evaluating? Does they, do they offer the courses I need? How about evaluating this one? Can we afford it? Yeah. Or will I be in debt until I retire? Okay. And so the practical steps. Let's take another, another principle of the leading of God. God's leading always. This, this to me is one of the pressing principles out of this passage. God's leading always requires a constant commitment to his principles. What I mean by that is this. And it'll make more sense when I illustrate it. Abraham is dogmatic. He's saying go out and find somebody. But he was dogmatic about a couple things. What were they? And, uh, no, the prayer is going to be the practice. The, what, what did he tell the servant? It's got to be two things that were out there. It's got to it's be somebody from homeland. 
not a Canaanite. And number two. Okay, that would be that. That's that number one. Okay, somebody that's in the homeland. Okay, what else did he say? You know, whatever you do, do not do this with Isaac. Don't take Isaac back there. Isaac must stay here. Why? This is the promised land. Isaac dare not put his foot outside. Lest Isaac could be distracted. Okay? Those were the dogmatic principles that Abraham was hanging on to because these were the commands of the Lord that you're going to be with your own people and you're going to stay in this promised land. So he tells the servant that when you're going out and you're, you're shopping, these two, and in fact, if you can't find somebody that's not willing to come back with you, what about the servant and his promise? You're relieved of that promise. But whatever you do, you must promise me you do not take my son out of this land. Because that was critical for him at that moment. So we have these critical, these critical principles that apply to us. That we say, okay, in the leading of the Lord, do we let circumstances change the critical principles? No. Okay. Do we let, do we let other people influence us to change the critical principles? No. If we're going to say certain critical principles, I must always be moral and ethical. Is that a critical principle? Okay. And I don't change that. And I stick with that. Okay. Uh, I must always put the Lord first. Okay. That's a critical principle. I, I would think that critical principle is the Lord's first and probably who should be our second priority? Family. Family. Okay. And so we have to keep those, we have to keep critical principles in determining, helping to determine the leading of the Lord. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the cost. Let's give a, a fourth principle on the leading of the Lord. God's leading involves the use of personal and practical wisdom. Okay, this is, this is that, that silly statement, but it's God's given you two things that begin with a brain that should work together in decision making. One is the Bible. The other one that he's given each of, each of us. It's here. Okay, he's giving you a brain. Okay, work them together. Be practical, be wise in looking at Eliezer. And again, I'm assuming that's his name. He used wisdom in looking for a work ethic. This was practical. This was wise. Okay, kindness, stick-to-itiveness, hospitality. Is there, is there a benefit? Now, you put yourself in Laban and Bethuel's spot. Was there wisdom for him to show the gifts of the gold earrings and bracelets? To the family, why would you think that's important? You're a mom. Put your keeping mom up. He can support your daughter. Would that be important to you? Okay, absolutely. So he's using very practical, wise approach to the situation that says, "Okay, I want to know about them, and not only do I want to know about them, they want to know about, yeah, me being the family." Okay, and so he's using wisdom in that. And in that case, you know, that's the practical wisdom. Let's talk about the leading of the Lord in this area. God's leading, okay, works cooperatively with our praying. And again, we talked about it. We've already mentioned that his prayer was specific. His prayer, the phrase, I bet you you've already marked this. Did you, is your verse, is verse 15 marked in your Bible already? 
Notice how he's finishing his prayer. It's just kind of, it's, it's fun. It's cool the way that it's, he's giving the prayer. He says, let it come to pass in verse 14 that she will say this, drink, and I will give the camels to drink as well. In verse 15, and it came to pass, what's your next phrase read? Before he had done speaking. That's the word he's praying, okay, that he's doing here. Before he prayed that, behold, Rebecca is showing up, okay? And so before he's finished, he's already seeing. But the major part, again, that whole test that he gives, it's a wisdom test. Wisdom for direction, giving practical, practical discernment, trying to evaluate the individual. Number six principle, God's leading should always prompt a great amount of praise. Watch the passage. He meets the girl. He finds out that she is family. She says he can come and stay at her house. Verse 26, the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth, I being in the way the Lord hath led me. He's excited. It's clear God is leading. Look at verse 52. He talks to Laban, talks to Bethuel, verse 50. They say this thing proceeds from the Lord. We cannot speak, but good or bad. Let's talk to her, see what she thinks about it. Verse 52. It came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he does what? He worships the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. So here's an individual that understands that as God leads, I should be giving God the praise and the lip service that he deserves. Abraham's story, including his whole f- his family, even his servant is affected this way, that it says he prompts into a praise mode. Abraham set up several altars. He's praising, he's worshiping, he's giving God glory as God is leading. He is seeing the hand of God. He is seeing the direction on a regular basis. The question you and I need to ask is, well, now wait a minute. So far... In the direction of the leading of the Lord, do I operate that way? Does my appreciation, is it evident by the way I respond, or do I just take the Lord's leading for granted, or just assume it's going to be there? Okay, what has God done this past week that you can look and say, God was leading in that thing. It was very clear. I should be giving him some praise this evening. 